Welcome to Mirepoix Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Schubach. I'm a writer, theater maker, and food enthusiast, and I'm taking you on a journey through food, family, and culture via the lens of food practice and tradition. Our guest today is makeup artist, Trisha Clark. This is Mirepoix. Hi, Trisha. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Joe. I am so happy to be spending this time with you. Um, we have known each other for a long time, and we are reunited over the magic of the internet. Amen. <laughs> so related to, to knowing each other for a long time, the first question is, who the heck are you? I am Trisha Clark. A, I like to call myself a makeup artist and word nerd. Um, I'm a wife and a mom who I keep saying we recently relocated to the suburbs, but we've been in the suburbs for five years. So I guess I'm a suburban mom and I need to accept that. <laughs> it does feel like it just happened though. Yes. I still walk by your place over by the library. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's Trisha's house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> well, I know it's like, I, I keep saying even I just came back from California which is true, except it's been now over a year. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting how we sort of, you know, we frame our transitions. <laughs> what is time anyway? What is time? What is time? Who am, what is art? Um, and you have uh, been, you were born and raised in Illinois. Yeah, so if you can't tell by my accent, I am a lifelong just outside of Chicago resident and have, I feel like I've moved a lot, but it's always been within 30 miles of downtown Chicago. Yeah. Um, and you've worn many hats over the years, but, you know, of course, one of the big ones that, uh, that I'm related to is that we worked in the food service industry together for a long time. Well, you know, I met you in a cafeteria. That's true. So as I was thinking about how long we have actually known each other, I met you in the North Park University cafeteria and you were darling and you had a really funny t-shirt on and I just decided that we were going to talk and be friends and we are. Um, and then, yeah, we spent many years um, slinging pancakes at Trey Croner restaurant and that, that restaurant looms very large in the through line of my life. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah, I learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> and incidentally, the only patio I've been to in uh, the pandemic. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that patio is magical. If people haven't been to Trey Croner restaurant, oh, like yeah. you just have to go, go on a weekday, like go for lunch, go sit outside. Yeah. It's just a little, little slice of happiness. Oh yeah. And Tanya's still there. So God bless. Say hi to Tanya. I, I was actually so comforted. We, uh, Cassie and I walked in there to have, you know, at breakfast at like 9 a.m. or something and uh tanya greeted us and i was like you're exactly who i want to see amidst all of this <laughs> yeah, seriously wow um so let's dive in uh what do you usually say is your favorite food i i have a deep affinity for salty carbs mm -hmm. so um if it's if it involves gluten and salt, I'm happy. So, I, I mean, I, I love a good soft pretzel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, sauce or a mustard? Um, either just by itself or with a little bit of cheese. I mean, if I'm being more highbrow, I would say I, I have always loved like shrimp scampi type stuff where you get the salty carbs plus some seafood. Um, but yeah, but just in general, like if I think of what sounds really good, it's like, I would like a hot salty pretzel and a cold beer. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Did you ever get that at the bra house? Yes. Their pretzels are not, they're, they're good, but not amazing. I think the problem is I compare every soft pretzel to the first one I had in Munich, Germany when I was 17 and nothing will ever be as good as that soft pretzel. So yeah. the rest are just echoes. That's right. They're, they're, they're facsimiles. <laughs> um, you, you sort of actually just uh, pointed to this, but what's your favorite food and beverage pairing? Well, though, so that goes hand in hand. So yeah. it's either if, if we're being very casual, it's a hot pretzel and a cold beer. And then if I'm thinking of more in the sense of a meal, then it would be um, a seafood pot and pasta with um, the, a chilled white wine. Yeah. That sounds like a dream. Sounds delightful. Sounds delightful. Outside, served and cleaned up by someone else other than me. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite hot breakfast? 
Oh, well, we just were talking about Trey Croner restaurant. I have never had an eggs Benedict with hollandaise sauce better than the ones at Trey Croner. And my favorite of their uh, variations of the eggs Benedict is the eggs Florentine with sauteed spinach. It's just the perfect combination of the English muffin that's toasty on the outside and you know, delightfully bread on the inside and then a perfectly poached egg. Um, the spinach is never watery. Again, I've tried them in other places and I think, why did I just waste the time and calories on this? It's really yeah. only good if it's from Trey Kroner. Yeah. I don't even try to make it at home. Yeah. So. Well, and the, I think, you know, actually, I everything at Trey Kroner is good. That's that's what I always tell that, yes. when we worked there. Like, it, I, I, I would always be like, I need to know more about what you like to tell you what to order because right. you're not going to make the wrong decision. No. And one of our favorite things to do when we were still brunch people, yeah. so in the era BC before a child, was that mm. we would go and we would each get something salty and savory to start. So I would always have the eggs Florentine and then my husband would have hash and eggs and then we'd share a Belgian waffle. And that ticked all the boxes, all the major food groups, and then you just float in a coma for the rest of the day. And it's amazing. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but you're right. That hollandaise is like, it's really, it's the best. Like I have not had better hollandaise sauce than Drake Brother. Yeah. Okay. I've also never watched anyone else whisk it in a bowl over a hot pot. <laughs> Trick is the only reason I understand how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was whisking egg whites this morning in a little bowl, and I thought, as cool as this is right now, it's not as cool as the, the chef at Trey Kroner with a massive bowl of hot egg whites. Yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, in a hot room, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, let's pour some out for everyone who works in kitchens, because it's so hard and so warm in there. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, what's your favorite theme park or county fair or street festival food? Okay, so you are not likely to find me at any of those places sure. <laughs> unless there is good music and I can be I could be dragged to something like a county fair or a street festival to see good music. So that means the sun is down, it's not hot anymore, yeah. and I'm most likely holding a cold beverage and, and that's it. And then I'm taking turns, handing it off so I can dance a little bit. So yeah. there's, there's no like street festival food that gets me excited. I mean, the one thing I think of, I haven't been to a theme park in probably over 20 years, yeah. but I would line up for a Dole Whip at Disney World if I was there. And I have tried to recreate it at home and I'm close to the flavor, but not to the texture. Yes. So yeah, that would be, that would be my answer. Uh, Dole Whip is one of my all-time favorite things in the universe. <laughs> did a little, um, like a Disney Zoom brunch a couple months ago or a month ago, and I decided I was going to have um, Dole Whip mimosas. Nice. And they were good. I, I did like a little bit of like um, pineapple, pineapple Malibu and then pineapple juice and then champs. Okay. It was good. I, I mean, it wasn't, it did not taste like Dole. <laughs> what I have found is a really key part of getting close to the texture is to take canned pineapple, not the big cubes and not the crushed, but like the tiny cubes and freeze oh. it in ice cube trays. Oh. And then that doesn't, that gets you closer to whatever they're you know, icy whip texture is. And then a little, a little titch of rum is not a bad thing. Oh. I go the rum direction instead of the champagne direction. Oh yeah. We went uh, to Epcot a couple of years ago and they were doing the, oh, flower and garden festival or whatever it's called. And they do like special little food booths. Mm -hmm. And so they were selling Dole Whip with a Parrot Bay rum floater. Nice. And that was pretty darn good. Yeah. I was like, now, see, I would go to the food and wine festival at Epcot and my sister lives down in Florida and, yeah. you know, is always posting, this is pre COVID posting pictures of fun stuff that I do. I, I keep saying when thing, you know, if things resume in some capacity, I would go down selfishly. Mm -hmm. I just want to go down for a grown up sister's trip with her and yeah. eat and drink my way around Epcot. But yeah. that's like a level above, you know, I don't want to go to great America no. and get a funnel cake. That doesn't thrill me. No, that's good to know. Yeah, that's right. Um, let's see. What's a guilty pleasure food uh, if you subscribe to that notion? Um, I kind of feel like excess in moderation. 
is my thing. So yeah. I'm not going to feel terribly guilty about something. I'll suffer the consequences of eating, you know, a ton of garbage for a long time, yeah. but I really like a good Italian beef sandwich. And so sometimes, I, and this has been a while, but I'll enjoy like going through a Bona beef drive through and getting an Italian beef and fries and a Dr. Pepper and just sitting in my car and eating it. <laughs> oh, I forgot about your love of Dr. Pepper. I, I just have, like, I appreciate not only the taste, but yeah. the bouquet of opening a fresh Dr. Pepper and I will drink it out of a wide mouth glass so I can smell it. And I don't understand. There are people that hate it so, so much. And I just don't understand the hate. I understand not liking it, but not yeah. the, I mean, there's people who tell me it tastes like cough syrup and I have been a fan of Dr. Pepper for over 30 years. Yeah. So it's a lifelong love affair. You know, I, I, I really like Dr. Pepper. It's not my caramel soda of choice. Okay. My Coke, like, all the way. Okay. But, like, every once in a while, I'm like, wait a minute. I want, I want to taste a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> you know? And it is. I love it. I love it. But it's the same. Like, I, the first 10 years or whatever, 12 years of my life, I was like, all orange soda or nothing. Orange so, soda? Yeah. Okay. One day I was just like, I don't want that anymore. And I switched to Dr. Pepper for like six years. We didn't have a lot of soda growing up. But yeah. My aunt and uncle had like the awesome fridge and my uncle loved Dr. Pepper. So when I would go to their house, they would let me have like two cans in a row. And I thought this is living. So now it's with, the, again, excess and moderation. I can buy yeah. Dr. Pepper. I could drink as much as I want. My skin will start to look terrible. I'll, you know, I won't feel great from a ton of sugar. So I just try to let myself, if I'm going to have it, make sure it's ice cold, mm -hmm. savor it, enjoy it. It's the best if it's coming from a drive-thru where they have the nugget ice, then yeah. it's just takes the experience to a whole new level. But I try to savor it and not just guzzle it to where I had 36 ounces and didn't even appreciate it. I'd rather have a delightful 12 ounce crisp cold savor moment than 36 ounces of what did I just do? Yeah. That's, I think about this too much, clearly. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, my favorite, I, Fountain used to be my favorite way to get Diet Coke. And then they came out with the tall boy cans. Oh, that yeah. That was a changer because I really like canned soda, but yes. it was never enough in one can. Right. So that amount is like perfect. <laughs> is that like 20 ounces? Uh, I don't even know. Okay. It might be 18, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, have to look for it. <laughs> But oh, yeah, it's just it's like the size of like you know the the mill the tall Miller Lite cans or whatever. Sweet, and, uh, it's a game changer. Nice. <laughs> when we get these little luxuries that just give you a little pep in your step for the rest of the day, you have to appreciate them as simple as they are. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, what's a food you eat when things get rough? I don't really have one. I, food has always been so tied to celebration and times with friends when I know I'm really down in the dumps is when I'm not hungry and nothing would taste good. So the, the lowest point in my life was also the skinniest point in my life because I just didn't, I was, yeah, I just didn't want to eat. So the closest thing I would say is like, if I'm eating peanut M&Ms, then it's like, oh, check yourself. Cause yeah. why, why are you? Yeah. Oh man, I love a peanut M&M though. <laughs> I do too, but if I'm just eating them thinking it'll make me Breakfast. feel better, then it's like, mm, yeah, no, yeah, not good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I noticed that like I I am a comfort eater for sure, but I'll also have something like during this time actually, like cuz I think this is a different kind of stress. Yes. Like, before this time, as Julia Olson's calling it uh the other time. The other time, my gosh, yeah. Like I would get stressed out by things like tech rehearsal or back-to-back -back meetings. And so I was like eating exactly what I wanted as fast as possible. And this time I noticed like, I was like looking at the clock and it was 3 p.m. and I hadn't eaten yet. And I was like, oh yeah, oh, weird. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, am I accidentally intermittent fasting? <laughs> <laughs> right, seriously. But I realized like part of it was I maybe it hit a fatigue point of like, cooking for myself because yep. it's been like four and a half months or five months or whatever. Right. And so I was like, okay, 
I'm gonna start buying some like drinkable yogurts. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff that I can just like eat at 10 a.m. really fast. Right. You know, and move on with the rest of the day because I was like noticing I just like was only having coffee, which doesn't work out very well. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the body is not appreciative of such cycles. No, definitely not. But yeah, you bring up a good point. I think it's like also like, um, I think there's different kinds of rough, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and like, I realized like also, like my hangover rough is very different than my like emotional landscape rough. Like when I wake up and I've drank too much and I want McDonald's breakfast immediately. Right. And then I want like a huge bowl of yellow curry at like 4 p.m. <laughs> That's what does it. I don't know. But it's weird because we know our bodies so well because we've had them our whole lives. But also like what, like once you pass like 35, you don't, it's like, it's like you switch bodies with somebody. Yes. You have to get reacquainted. Like you were saying, when I wake up, when I've had too much to drink, I can't, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time that happened because I realized, yeah, probably after 35, my threshold dropped so low. If I have two beers, then that's where I should stop because I don't want to pay the price the next day. And I don't get to, you know, just roll in and go get brunch. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, being hung over in shelter in place was, was not fun at all. Yeah. See, like, no. oh, just staring at my hungover self in my house. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fun. No. Um, all right. If, uh, oh, the namesake of the show, which is a classic base to many recipes, is mirepoix. Uh, this three-ingredient holy trinity of onion, celery, and carrot um, is specific to France, but of course, uh, cuisine starters take many forms all over the globe and manifest in different ways. What's your mirepoix? What ingredients do you use on the regular to start a cooking process? Usually really good butter is involved. Um, and then I, I really always have to have garlic and ginger. And I have been so excited, um, to discover, and I met, I should have them to show you, but, um, Aldi makes a minced garlic that comes in a jar and they also make a ginger tube, like a squeeze tube. So I try to always have fresh garlic and fresh ginger. And then it, for emergencies, I was keeping um, like ginger, you know, powdered ginger and garlic powder. But then when I discovered the jarred minced garlic and the tube of ginger, that was a game changer because there's just sometimes you're, you're not going to the store just for those two things or the garlic that you had, you pull it out and it's gone yeah. bad. Um, so those, you know, having those on hand, let me still make most of what have become our staple recipes. And you, you know, the more you cook and the more you get to know certain ingredients, I learned last week that the jarred garlic does not work in a salad dressing because I tried to make a peach spinach salad and I about burned my taste buds off. Um, because it's, it's been processed and is, was cut, you know, however long yeah. ago. It's, it's good if you cook it, but it's not good in a raw salad dressing. But it's saved, yeah. it's saved many a dish where it's like, well, I don't want to use garlic powder. <laughs> it's, it's more, you know, close to the regular flavor. So I would say those are, my, those are my three if I really had to come up with them. Oh, yeah. Well, and this is a perfect segue. What's, what's in your fridge? What are items that you can always find in your kitchen or pantry? We always, I mean boring stuff. Like we always have boxes of pasta, um, cause that can be made so easy and yeah. can make a cold dish or a hot dish. What I've recently started always having is different cans of, or different jars of curry base uh -huh. and, and was using, um, I don't even know that it's like a red or a yellow curry, but it's, it's cumin and, um, I should know more of the ingredients that are in there. Um, but then recently got a red curry for more like Thai curry dishes. And that has been great. And I just told a friend, I should probably learn more about it. And I know I have all the spices yeah. to make it, yeah. um, get familiar with making my own, but there's something so convenient about a paste where add it to the skillet and you just have such depth of flavor so quickly that I appreciate. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Yeah. The depth of flavor is huge, right? Because I feel like 
when we all like sort of start on this journey, we're like, well, we made garlic noodles. You right. Know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we made it taste like one thing and it was yeah. good, you know, but we start to want, you know, sort of things that are more robust. Yep. Um, you are nine years old. Who is in your kitchen? Who's doing the cooking and what are they making? I love this question. So I was fortunate enough to have um, two parents who could cook. And so my mom, and we talk in our family a lot about how we show love through food, both in my um, like, you know, birth family, my family of origin with my siblings and my parents, and then also my now family with my husband and son, we show each other, we show everyone love by cooking for them. And so when I was little, my mom showed love by consistently making, you know, all the meals all the time, even though she wouldn't tell you she loves cooking, Mm -hmm. you know, it was in the eighties and nineties, there weren't the the options for feeding your family like there are now. It's like you cooked at home. Maybe you went to McDonald's once in a blue moon. Um, But she just showed love by consistently feeding us, even though she didn't relish it or whatever. And she was clever with ingredients. And I can see that now, especially in this new time of COVID where all the little conveniences for a while were stripped away. It's like, well, I can't go pick up a roasted chicken to save time with dinner tonight, or we can't go through the Chick-fil-A drive-through. So I see the love that comes from just day in and day out feeding the people that you care about, even if it's not your favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was just like the everyday, you know, provider of that. But then my dad loves to cook and loves to be fancy and try new things. So if it was a birthday or a special thing, then he was in the kitchen. So I'm glad I got to see both of those <clears throat> examples of, you know, using food to show that you care, whether it's just every single day being there for the people that need you or making someone feel really special. Like we always got to pick on our birthday. We did not go out to restaurants, but you got to pick your favorite meal. And since I was about eight, it was shrimp and scallops and Alfredo sauce with noodles. So it's yeah. like, there's that lifelong love of just salty carbs. It's so good though. <laughs> Can't deny it. Um, if we aren't eating blank, then it isn't blank. Oh, God. Okay, so we don't have that many particular... I, I never thought of like, oh, well, you always had this cake on your birthday or you always did this. Really, the only constant in my whole life is if you're eating the weird Swedish foods, it must be Christmas. Yep. So if you're eating kava solta, which is head cheese, and lutefisk, and... Swedish meatballs, you know, then, then it's Christmas time. And as I've gotten older, like I will take, I will take a bite to honor my Swedish ancestors who came over on a boat and it was miserable and you had to eat cod (laughs) that's been salted and soaked in lye. Um, yeah. So if we're eating crazy Swedish foods, then it must be Christmas time. And I'm going to eat a bite of each. And then I'm going to go have a salad because I can't eat 27 different kinds of protein and feel okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you remember Janssen's Temptation? Yes. And I, I, I bet if I tried it, I would like it because it was really just glorified au gratin potatoes. But yeah. at the time that we were working at Trey Croner and serving this Janssen's Temptation, which is a potato casserole, it's au gratin potatoes with anchovy. Just yeah. being told there was anchovy in it, I was like, keep it far away from me. But people would like line up for that. Yeah. Well, the anchovies made it really salty. But See, was, I'd probably like it. Yeah, it was like a depth of salt, right? Like it's right. not like the kind where like, it's like you put too much salt on the movie theater popcorn. Right. The kind that makes your whole mouth water. Oh gosh. No, see, I should probably revisit that, but. Yeah. I mean, hopefully Yule Board is, you know, in full swing this, uh, this winter. We could. Oh, I hope so. Do it. Um, let's see. It's speaking of Yule Board. It's a celebration. How did you know your family was going all out with food? Uh, what restaurants did you go to? What plates came out of the cupboard? How big was the spread? For celebrations in our family, growing up, we would always get together with my dad's extended family. My grandmother was one of nine. And so a typical Christmas Eve party had close to 100 people. Parties in the summer. I couldn't wrap my head around like going to a having 
calling something a party and having it be like 10 people going to a party meant like you were packed in and I love that feeling. So for me, a celebration, you know that because there's a list on the fridge with all the food that's coming and who's bringing it because there's been, you know, the ants have decided it ahead of time and it's been divided among family members. And then it's just, I mean, as a kid, you just would run around and eat as much as you wanted and then run around some more. And it was so fun um, that, and I've only hosted one party like that. And I, it made me realize so much how much work went into all those. And we just did them all the time, but there were enough people to divvy it up. So for me, it's not like a particular food or any particular place. It's just masses of people and everybody contributing what they're known for or what they like to make. And then it being this big fun meal all together. That's beautiful. Have you, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't little in Illinois, right? I moved here when I was 15. Okay. Um, but I've heard tell of the Illinois garage party. Have you heard of this phenomenon? No, not per- I mean, I know people who hang out in their garage, like even though they might have a comfortable living room yeah. or, and I guess I have been to them, but I never thought, is that distinctly an Illinois thing? I don't know. So Sarah and Cassie talk about it all the time. And like part of it is that it could be in a garage, right? Okay. But like, I guess part of the um, building blocks of it are also like the tray of mozzarella, the tray of like uh, Italian beef, like these like particular like Illinois Chicago staple foods. Okay. That like show up even if there's a theme to the party. So like, even if you're like, it's St. Patrick's Day, here's the mozzarella. Got it. Well, that's funny because I have, so I have been to parties where, yes, you use the garage as an extra room, whether it's a place that's out of the sun and you can have the buffet of food or it's got an outlet in it and you can plug things in, yeah. um, you know, have the coolers lined up. That's funny that they brought up those things because the times that I've gone and there's been big trays of masticcioli, regardless of what else is on the menu, someone in the family has been Italian. And so it just makes me wonder if that's like, well, here's how you feed a lot of people. You can have special stuff, but then you're also going to have this big foil tray of something. So yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Garage party. Garage party. I'm sure there's some Portillo's involved also. Um, What food for you is home? What recipe do you hope is on the table when you visit family? Well, the the way our family has kind of spread out and grown when I think of that question, like what food makes me think of home now, I think of it as coming home to my home that I've made Mm -hmm. with my husband. And, and so we continue to show each other love by cooking for each other. And so now that I am primarily working from home or have a very flexible schedule, I cook, you know, six meals or I cook dinner six nights a week, but on the days that I work, I work wedding, I do makeup for weddings and I work all over. So for example, if I leave at you know, five in the morning and go do a wedding in Milwaukee and then I go do a trial for a bride somewhere else, I'm gone for over 12 hours. And when I come home, if I pull in the driveway and I can smell that my husband is barbecuing in the backyard, it makes me so happy because he doesn't just flip on a gas grill. He has this whole process of wood chips and smoking and he teases me that it's my um we call it my like Irish tinker roots <laughs> that my Irish family must have been like travelers and oh, yeah. and love the smell of wood fire um oh, but if he's cooking when I come home and put all the effort into it and all I have to do is change clothes and sit down and we eat outside that makes me feel welcomed home so it's like the smell of a wood fire and something cooked over that and then just you know feeling safe and and like I love going out into the world, but I love coming home even more. Yeah, that's really nice. You know what's funny about smells? <clears throat> I, I, I'm pescatarian. I don't eat bacon. Okay. But I love the smell of bacon. That's so funny. And it, it's because it like means something to me. Like yes. I think it's like, particularly waking up to it, like yeah. it means someone has gotten up before me and has right. started breakfast, you know? Yes. Yes. And I feel like there's some connection there with, with, with Patrick and the grilling, like someone has, is facilitating an experience right. for me, you know? Right. And if it's coffee and bacon, even better. Yes. Oh, amen to that. Well, it's, 
my mom always said she never liked drinking coffee, but the smell of coffee, it's like someone's getting ready for you. I yeah. think that's what it is. It's the anticipation of feeling that love. Someone is preparing to spend time with you and that's really special. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite coffees of the whole year is the Thanksgiving morning coffee. I have no idea why. Particularly, I think the idea that maybe there's extra people in the house. And so yeah. like you make a pot, it's like immediately gone. You have to make another one right yeah. away. You know, that's a real special one for me. Well, that makes me think of at those big family parties that we used to have. You know, each each aunt in the family had a giant coffee urn that you would yeah. see at like church potlucks. And we'd get to the party, say like seven o'clock at night, and it would be, you know, your your concept of time is different when you're a kid. So I would have told you the party was like 10 hours long, but it was probably three. And right. then when after dinner had been served and cleaned up and whatever else, someone would plug in the coffee maker. And then it was like, I'm sure the adults were like, great, now we have to drink coffee so we can drive home from wherever we are. But as a kid, it was like, we're staying up late. We can smell the coffee. And it just was like, I don't know. It's so wild how your, um, your sense of smell puts you back so immediately to a certain experience. And that, that big, like, that's a different smell than walking into like a little coffee bar. I feel yeah. like that big, just like a giant tub of coffee. So you worked at Starbucks too, right? I did work at Starbucks for a hot second on what is it? North and Clybourne over by the yeah. red line. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so I worked at Starbucks too, but I haven't been in a Starbucks for a while, right? Like five months or whatever. Yeah. My sister and I were in the drive through getting, uh, getting Starbucks before we went somewhere. And all of a sudden, now this probably isn't good for like germs, but all of a sudden like the breeze shifted a little and I could smell the inside of the Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And hey, I like the smell of coffee, but also like it just, the sensory memory was so strong. Yeah. I think particularly because I hadn't been in there for a while. Yeah. But I could like picture working and like cleaning the cafe and like all of yeah. this like, visceral stuff came back. I actually always say that about <laughs> using the bathroom at Jay Croner. Yes. It's not a smell thing, but like sitting down in there, <laughs> I suddenly like remember every break I took. Oh, Joe. <laughs> You know what, here, well, let, we could go down a whole rabbit trail of talking about different smells, especially having worked in food. But for me, ketchup in the sun, yeah. I worked on Navy Pier for one summer yeah. and wiping off ketchup bottles with a, a rag that's been in a bucket of sanitizer. I mean, for years, I couldn't eat condiments. I couldn't touch mayonnaise with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. I, I mean, nothing nothing condiments because if you've seen them in mass quantities and if you smell them hot or congealed, like I just, I couldn't for years. Yep. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to go any further because it could get gross real it quick. Get real gross, but you're right. Like I don't think about stuff for a while. And then I get like, a, I've, I've worked in a variety of food service over the years. And like some days you look at the ketchup sitting there and you're like, nah, I'm good. Yep. 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 Did you remember some things? Yep. Um, all right. Fill in the blank. What Americans don't understand about blank is blank. Well, I'm going to go dark with this. I think what yeah. Americans don't understand about food is killing us in the sense of, I mean, when I think about how there are people that don't have access to food, when uh -huh. I think about um, how disconnected we are from how food gets to us, um, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, when I start to think about, I'm, we are in such a mess right now on every single level. Um, yeah. you know, health, racial, economic, it, it just all areas are affected. My hope is that there's enough crap hitting the fan mm -hmm. that it's, even, even if it gets worse for a while, it's got to get better because so many people are having their eyes open to things. Yeah. So we, you know, we shouldn't want to open schools because that's how kids are getting fed. Like kids should be getting fed and families yeah. should be able to obtain food. And we should not be getting everything that we eat from entirely different continents because our farmers just grow things for fuel. So I, without going on a whole huge thing, yeah. 
that when I first read that question, I just thought, yeah, what Americans don't understand about food is killing us in, in different ways, whether it's not having access to it or on, only consuming things that are so unhealthy that it leads to all these other, you know, health issues. So yeah, to, to pull it back and not be a total Debbie Downer. It's like, I hope that that's one of the positive outcomes of this yeah. great awakening that we're having is that we just are all a little more aware of, of the reality of how we get our food, how it's used, how it's available. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, what's a food or cuisine that you found in your adult life that changed how you thought about food or food practice? I didn't have sushi until I started dating um, my now husband and he took me out to, it's gone now, but it was a place way North. I think it was on Peterson. It was called Katsu. And, you know, we were still dating. Like I didn't know how much he spent on the meal. And then probably two years later, I was like, let's go back to that place. <laughs> um, but I, I just had never been exposed to sushi and yeah. it was so delightful. And now, I mean, I loved it so much. It's, it's akin to that pretzel experience in Germany. Like nothing will ever live up to that first pretzel. I don't know that I'll ever go somewhere unless I get to go to Japan and have sushi that was as good and as fresh as that place. So I don't even crave it. I don't want to go for mediocre sushi because yeah. that was so fantastic. And I never thought I would, you know, eat a piece of raw eel, but I did. And I still think about it. Yeah, that's right. Did you go with us? For yeah. Oh, you planned it. The holiday party for Trey Croner when we went to um, Midori. Midori. Yeah. See, that's not real sushi. I don't trust anything that comes out of it. Like, <laughs> well, you know, my favorite thing at Midori is the dynamite shrimp. That like fried shrimp that's in like that spicy savory sauce. That I think I've blocked out most things that happen. Oh sure. Before or after eating there. Rasmussen bought like ten orders in a row. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it's true though, sushi, I think, yeah, I didn't, I guess I had sushi in high school. But yeah, it's funny the food that also like you have like um, a sense of like, because I think there's new foods you have that you've never heard of. And then there's foods that you're like, yeah, I, I hear people talk about that. Right, right. It's a funny phenomenon. Um, all right. Uh, what's your biggest recipe fail? Oh, Lord. Um after we moved and I had a slightly bigger kitchen, I, I go through periodic phases where I think I should add the new recipe to my repertoire or a new technique. Yeah. And what I know now is that I should have a backup. Like, don't try that unless you have a frozen pizza or you have a sauce that you can add to pasta if yeah. things go south. Um, because I attempted to make buttermilk chicken that needed to be brined and then, you know, so it was like brine and buttermilk and then got breaded and then cooked or fried and then cooked. I wasted like 20 beautiful chicken legs. I didn't cook them all the way. It was, it made such a mess and it, it wasn't, they weren't cooked properly that I just thought that was such a waste of time, ingredients, labor. It was heartbreaking. And we didn't have any backup. I think we ate cereal and I just was oh. like, I have failed. <laughs> So that's my biggest is buttermilk chicken. And I, instead of letting that spur me on to try it again, I was just like, yeah, no, I'll leave fried chicken to people with a different skill set than me or a restaurant. Yeah. I'll buy fried chicken from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The flip side of that is what's a recipe hack that you found that you will always stick with? I like this question too. So um, Cooks Illustrated has been a really big part of my cooking journey. And I have, I copied it out of a Cook's Illustrated magazine. And this was from years ago when like, if you're a nerd, when Christopher Kimball was still with Cook's Illustrated before he split off and did his own thing with Milk Street. Um, but it's a, it is a full two page spread uh, breaking down stir fry. And it's, uh, it's unbelievable how much information is on these two pages, but it, it gives it to you as an overall approach to cooking meat and vegetables that lets you um, just understand how long the different vegetables take, how to prepare your meat, how to make different sauces at home. And I probably make stir fry like once every seven to 10 days. And the, the biggest hack that's in there is 
um, garlic and ginger is a big part of stir fry. And so instead of cooking them too soon with the vegetables or letting them get just kind of drowned in sauce, you cook your vegetables separately, depending on how long they take to cook, cook your meat. And then at the end, you put that all back together in the pan. And then you take a mix of minced garlic and minced ginger in oil. So like I take a little cup yeah. and I put, I, I always double, if something calls for garlic, I always double the amount and I yeah. usually add extra ginger too. Put it in oil and then you, you move all your veggies and meat away from the center of the pan and put the oil and aromatics in the center. And then when you start to smell it after a couple seconds, then you mix it into everything else and then add your sauce. And it, it lets it cook enough to release the flavor without burning. And I've started doing that technique of taking the aromatics in oil. And I do it if I make a homemade pasta sauce too. I saute my vegetables and then add the tomatoes and stuff. And then I move, move it aside from the center of the pan and put garlic and oil in the middle. And it's so, I don't know if that's technically a hack, but I just feel yeah. like it lets me appreciate garlic even more. And yeah, yeah I love it. Yeah. And I think, so that's like the aromatic hack there is huge. And also this, like, I think I learned at some point I'm supposed to just cook everything together and mm. hope everything cooks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Later that I realized like, no, sometimes you need to cook the separate things or the different things separately. Yes. And then integrate them later. Right. And that's a game changer. Agreed. And it lets every vegetable shine for what it is. And still it's like, well, there's still a little crunch to the carrot and the broccoli hasn't gone totally mushy. So I love, I mean, I've, I've shared that with a lot of people because it's like, you can use up whatever vegetables you have in your fridge, throw it over a little bit of rice and you have a really satisfying meal. Cause you've learned how to cook those ingredients. Well, it probably, I mean, it comes back to like respecting the ingredients and making the most of, of them and what you have. And as I've, cooked for longer and longer, you just start to pull in different concepts and understandings and it lets you enjoy cooking more because you're not just, well, hope, yeah, cross your fingers, hope this turns out. <laughs> like you understand why certain things happen and more of the science behind it. That's right. That's right. Um, what's a recipe that you highly recommend? What makes it special? Oh, this, hmm. I would have to think about that. I... I mean, that stir fry one, I think just because I felt like it unlocked some secrets for me has been huge. Um, as I'm looking around at my different cookbooks. Yeah. That, I, you know, I don't, I can't say that there's just like one particular one that I other, I think more understanding the process has been a big deal for me. And that's yeah. the one that's like stained and loved that, or maybe um, there's a, a bread recipe that, I learned from my great aunt. She lived until she was 104 and she and her daughter taught me how to make the Swedish bread that my family has made for a long time. And I guess it's like, I've seen recipes in different Swedish cookbooks and it, I think this family recipe is actually a combination of cardamom bread and Lucia buns and wow. then like a pulla braid. But this recipe combines all those things yeah. and that was how I started learning about bread baking and the science behind that. And I credit that with keeping me sane when I was a new mom, because I would be woken up by someone at four o'clock in the morning and how I managed to not, I mean, there was a bunch of things that helped me not completely go off the rails, but baking bread and like having that to do with my hands and to look forward to. Uh, yeah. So that was a very roundabout way of coming to that answer, which I guess my official answer is it's this Swedish bread recipe yeah. that taught me a lot about bread baking and about taking the time to do something right. And also like making something with your hands and watching it change. And I have found sense that if I have a lot to mentally process, bread baking helps me because I have to stay and keep checking on it. And so there's something about working with your hands while you're processing something mentally and then having a product that comes out of it. Yeah. Philosoph philosophical. Cardamom bread is so good. I know. I don't know how or why. <laughs> I know. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, but it's that aromatics. It's the cardamom and 
a big change was instead of using powdered or even trying to grind the seeds in a coffee grinder, I smash them in a mortar and pestle. And so it's there, there's that evocative scent. There's what happens when it bakes in the bread because it changes. Joe, you'll appreciate this. Yeah. I thought it would be fun. I got a coffee grinder for coffee and I thought, oh, maybe I'll try something. Like I think I remembered at Trey Croner, they used to put a little bit of cardamom in the coffee at Christmas time. Yeah. Well, I put way too much cardamom in this coffee and what I brewed tasted like Listerine because yeah, that, that aromatic when it doesn't get unlocked by heat oh my god when it's just cold I was like what did I make coffee mouthwash that was a nightmare whoops absolute disgusting I felt bad for wasting both those ingredients but you probably made some sort of natural remedy for something we didn't even <laughs> I should have kept it and experimented <laughs> what is this here? yeah I also love the the pearl sugar Mm-hmm. Bread, my goodness. Yep. And I'm not no even way. a sweet person, really, but that's like the perfect, like, um, balance, especially yes. when you put butter on it. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> or I used to do like, um, because I, I, you know, I'm not Swedish, but I grew up. In I forget that. Yeah, it's wild. Um, <laughs> my proximity to Swedish American culture is yeah. high. So close. Um, but uh, I used to get slices, thin slices of Jarlsberg and put it on slices of cardamom bread. And it was oh. so good. Joe, I've never tried that. It was so well, good. We will try that again. I can't, my son has been asking me, he's like, when are we going to make cardamom bread again? I just don't do a lot of it in the summer. Yeah. But once fall rolls around, I will have to do that. So wait, Jarlsberg is the kind of, kind of tastes like a Swiss cheese. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Any cheese is good on there, right? Even like cheddar is good. But like it's the way I did it was like it was at coffee hour, right? So I wasn't heating it up. I was just eating like a cold piece of cheese on that oh. bread. Ooh, okay. Oh, I'll try it. I'll let you know when I do. It's like that like cheddar cheese apple pie thing that people do, you know? Yeah. Really good. Um, what chef or food practitioner do you recommend looking into? Well, I have two. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this on Netflix, but I love Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat yep. with Simon Nosrat. I just love her um, her approach and her enthusiasm, like watching her enjoy food. I mean, she was weeping in, in like the Parmesan cheese cave. And I thought, yeah. yes, yes, I love you. I want to be friends with you. Yes. Um, like her desire to understand everything and yeah. Um, get to know it more. I just like her so much. And I don't, I don't even have her cookbook. Like I need to get yeah. that cookbook and learn more about her. The other one I really like, um, is Deb Perelman, who's the smitten kitchen. Oh, uh -huh. and heard, heard talk of her long before I knew a lot about her and then finally got her cookbook and you can follow her on Instagram. It's smitten kitchen. But what I like about her is, um, it, I think in a lot of things, people think, well, if I just had this, if I just had more space yeah. or if I just had fancy equipment, I'd be a better cook. And she had this teeny tiny New York kitchen. And it, the bottom line is if you want to cook, you can cook. You, yeah. All it takes is time and willingness to fail and try again. So I like her, her recipes. Now she has kids, so she cooks with her kids. But when you read her stuff, it's like she's tried it out in her home kitchen. She yeah. shows people she loves them by cooking for them. And I think I identify with that. That's great. It's also a little like ratatouille. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone can cook. I love ratatouille. You need to watch that again. I've only seen it once and it's a Pixar movie my son hasn't seen because... Um, Patrick, after having worked in food service and stuff all over the world, is so terrified of rats. He yeah. can't even, I'm like, Pat, yeah. but it's about a rat that goes to culinary school. You went to culinary school and he cannot even, can't even let himself watch it. So we'll, I'll have to show it to Jack. We've just finished watching Onward, which you and I oh, need to yeah. discuss separately because yeah. yeah, love. I had a great time watching that. <laughs> Definitely cried. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Doesn't take much for me though. <laughs> uh, we're, oh, we're at our last question. Oh. What are you working on right now, food related or not, that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I'm in, I'm in the same club as you as working on launching a podcast. So yeah. during being at home, shelter in place, I think you and I are similar in that we crave connection with people and we, we find ways to be creative. It's like, I think of a Play-Doh mold where it's like, you can squish Play-Doh and 
it's going to come out somewhere. And so with yeah. the two of us, it's like, oh, I can't be creative in the ways that I'm normally creative. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. So I started an Instagram chat show called Tea Time with Trish, and it was just a daily way to connect with people. Um, and I started having interviews on it a few times a week. And now it's turning into a podcast slowly but surely. So it will yeah. be available wherever you listen to your podcast. And it's called Tea Time with Trish. And the idea is just to talk with, with fellow creatives about how they are making their corner of the world a better place. Cause that's what I want to look for when things seem so dark all around. I want to look for people that are saying, okay, I can't fix all the world's problems, but this is what I can do in my corner yeah. and, and inviting people to join them and making a difference with whatever skills you have. Cause if we can all do a little bit in our corner, we'll see ripple effects and things will start to get better. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right, because what, I mean, I think what happens besides like ignorant bliss, like when people aren't paying attention to things, the other thing that happens is we all, it, we have the propensity to like, be like, I can't do anything, so I'm going to lie face down. Absolutely. And I just, and I have felt that way where it's like, yeah. I can't possibly fix all this that's going on. That's, that's normal to feel that way, but we do each have choices and power in our own spheres of influence. Yeah. So I want to talk to other people selfishly to be inspired myself, but also to help people realize what, what you do doesn't have to look like what other people do. Yes. You know, use, use the gifts and the skills that you have and that will make a difference and, and everybody will play their part. That's right. I love it. It's the great, it's the great unfinished symphony, Joe. <laughs> Come on, America. Let's work on it. Get back in tune. Like Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, Trisha, thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. I was so glad to be asked and to have a chance to hear your voice and talk food with you. What a delight. What an honor. Thanks for having me, Joe. I want to thank you for joining me on Mirepois Podcast and thank our house band siblings for the use of their song, Jars. Be sure to check them out on Spotify. I also want to invite you to subscribe to support Mirepois directly on Anchor and to follow me on Instagram where you can receive behind-the-scenes content about this podcast and my own food practice. Until we feast again.